Hey, I'm Pastor Robert. Welcome to Riverside Friends Church. You know, I just got back from Kenya a few days ago. It was incredible. The church there is growing so fast. They've been captured by the Holy Spirit and sent out on mission. And in Kenya, the Friends Church is vital to society. Everywhere I went, I'd tell people like, oh, I'm here for a Friends Church conference. They're like, oh, Friends Church. They like knew who that was. And so the government works with the Friends Church in providing peace testimonies to people. And one Kenyan lady I, I got to meet was nominated last year for the Nobel Prize for her lifelong efforts in peacemaking. And they embody like living with their neighbors in such a way that they encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's this incredible work spreading the gospel from Kenya to Uganda, Tanzania, Tanzania, and elsewhere. And so we're, we're going to continue our look at 1 Corinthians. And so this is Paul's letter addressing a number of concerns inside of the church at Corinth. So we must we must approach this text, 1 Corinthians, as though Paul is dealing with an issue. And so the issue that he's talking about today is the need for the church to live on mission. And we're going to see that. So we're going to like go through the entirety of, of chapter 9. So I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to let you pause the video, pause the uh, podcast Read verses 1 to 14. You know, kind of the big important parts is this stuff about soldiers and oxen and vineyards and all of this. But yeah, take a moment, pause the video. We'll come back in a second. So that's a lot of verses. I'm not going to spend a ton of time explaining them because they're very repetitive and a lot of them are kind of self-explanatory. He's talking about the rewards. Paul is talking about the rewards that he is entitled to as an apostle of the Lord. See, he has planted the church in Corinth and he is saying that he rightly deserves a reward for the work. That's not his final point, but it's the point he's making right now. And so he does this by talking about a soldier, a farmhand, and a shepherd, and they all get paid for their work. And Paul, as an apostle, is not different. So one thing we need to understand about scripture is that all scripture has four, three meanings, and some scripture has a fourth meaning. So the first meaning of scripture is the little literal words. This is where people get hung up. A lot of people take this as the only meaning. Uh, the first meaning of scripture is the literal words. Paul now goes on and he quotes the Old Testament and he says, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And so the literal meaning from the Old Testament is don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, while the ox is working in the field, or whether it's moving the stone to mill the grain, don't muzzle it, let it eat. While it is working, it is against the law to stop it from eating. That's the literal meaning. That's the literal words. The second meaning of scripture is spiritual. So the first meaning is literal. The second meaning is spiritual. Paul here is not talking about oxen. If we think he's just talking about oxen, we miss the point. He continues in verse 9 by saying, Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Or does God not speak entirely for our sake? Behind the talk about oxen, God is really speaking about people. People who work deserve to be paid. Don't stop the people from enjoying the benefits of their work. And so the third meaning then, so we've seen like there's this, phys there's this literal interpretation. There's the spiritual and then the third meaning is application. How does this apply to my life? And Paul answers that in 1 Corinthians 9, 11. If we have sown spiritual good among you, is it too much if we reap your material benefits? What we can see from these verses is that healthy pastors and leaders will reap a harvest from, for their work, from their work. Good churches respond by paying their pastors. 
See, the thing is like pastors and church leaders, we're not here to plant seeds. We're here to bear fruit. Healthy leaders bear fruit. And Paul is saying to the church today, pay your pastor. Who is filling you up spiritually? How are you helping them physically? The fourth way is only sometimes applicable. It's eschatological. So we've seen like there's a literal meaning of the words. There's literally what the words say. There's the spiritual meaning, what's kind of behind them. And then there's the application for our lives. And then the fourth meaning is how is it focused on the end times? How does it apply to us for our eternal applications? And, you know, not all scripture has that focus, although a lot of people will try to read that focus in wrongly. Um, not all scripture has that focus. So the scripture doesn't particularly have that focus that we'll see coming up towards the end of this sermon. So let me tell this, like I know a pastor who has been at a church for maybe a dozen years, and that's a long time to be at a church. And for the last five or six years, he hasn't received a raise. Even with the inflation this year, no raise. And the church has grown. They've added staff and a youth pastor. They pay their worship team. The church is doing really well. It turns out that one man on the trustee committee, like the committee that oversees the church finances, he believes the pastor, the pastor shouldn't make more money than he does. So even though the church has grown significantly, and the pastor has more responsibility, and the pastor has been bearing fruit, and the pastor is doing good things, this guy is putting a, pa a cap on the pastor's salary. He wants to ensure his pastor makes less money than he does, that his pastor has less money than he does. That's not healthy from that person. Now, I make enough here as your pastor. I've been rewarded by the church for the work that I do, and I just want to say thank you for rewarding, for rewarding me for my work. I thank you for not trying to muzzle me as I tread out the grain. And as I have continued to bear fruit here, thank you for supporting me. As a church, a time is coming when we, will, when we must consider what ministries are not bearing fruit. All churches must ask themselves which of our efforts are working and which are not. Unhealthy leaders, unhealthy leaders will hold on to ways that aren't working healthy leaders gravitate towards ways that are working. Unhealthy leaders will hold on to, they'll hold on to ideas of I'm just planting seeds, whereas healthy leaders know that their responsibility is to bear fruit. And Paul is saying in verse 14, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. If a leader is not bearing fruit in ministry, why should we expect them to live off the ministry? I've said time and time again, I will follow the scriptures wherever they lead. If a scripture leads to a position, I will faithfully preach the word. So naturally, if I stop bearing fruit, I will need to be corrected. And that's the thing, right? If I stop bearing fruit, why should I get paid for it? So that's our scripture this morning. Our scripture this morning leads to this. It's good to pay your pastor. Thank you for paying me. It has made my job in preaching the gospel much easier. So now we need to go on to the next set of verses. Because Paul is now saying that he has the right, he has the right to receive from the Corinthian church, but he will not be using it. This is verse uh, 15 to 18. He says, but I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. 
If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So here's what we have to understand about Paul. From his time on the road to Damascus, he was called by Jesus Christ. And if you remember, then Saul was going to persecute Christians and Jesus showed up and asked him, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, Jesus entered Saul's life and gave him a new purpose. That moment totally rocked and changed the course of Paul's life. In verse 16, he says that he is compelled to preach or that he has an obligation to preach because God has acted in his life. Because God has acted in his life, he has a divine necessity to preach the word. Paul's ministry was not voluntary. He did not choose to encounter Jesus on the road. He didn't sign up for that. That was chosen for him. And if you look at the lives of any of the apostles, none of them chose to follow Jesus. Jesus first called them. And frankly, none of us chose Jesus either. Jesus first. He has first chosen and called us. And in verse 17, Paul says, if preaching the gospel is his idea, then he has a reward. He gets to preach. The reward is wrapped up in it. But since he was called, and since this wasn't his idea, he does not have a reward, but a commission. He is tasked with an objective. Then in verse 18, he asked the obvious, what then is his reward? If it is not a salary from the church, what is his reward? He says, just this, to make the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. So this brings us back to that first point. He has the right but under the commission, he doesn't want to use his rights. I don't know if you remember this, but Rachel, Sarah's sister, has her wildlife rehabilitation permit. And so last year, she raised like three baby raccoons who lost their mother. And so imagine this. Imagine that a lady finds a stray dog, emaciated and flea-ridden, on the streets. And she takes that dog in, she takes that puppy in, and nurses him back to health, like picks individually off all the fleas out of its fur and really nurses him back to health, gets him the right food, takes him to the vet, medicine, shots, all that. How loyal, how loyal will that dog be to that lady? And Paul is saying, I'm that dog. I have to be obedient. I have no other choice. Why would I want to be anything other than obedient? She saved me. And so Paul deeply understands how broken his life was before Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus. And obedience to the Lord, obedience to the Lord does not come from strict adherence to the word, but because we have encountered the divine word, Jesus Christ. The obedience is not out of obligation, but out of reverence for all that God has done in our lives. We misunderstand obedience if we think that it's uh, compulsory, restricted adherence, or out of obligation. Parents who do that to their kids get it wrong. See, the reality is I was the emaciated puppy that has been nursed back to health. And so are you. You were flea-ridden and emaciated. But God has redeemed you and he loves you. And he sees good in you that you fail to see in yourself. Go on. Verse 19 to 23. Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, 
I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those under the law. To those not under, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So I'm going to spend the rest of our time, the rest of this sermon, looking at these verses and diving deep into them. These are very familiar verses, but I want to compare and contrast some statements inside of these. And I think we'll find some interesting, some interesting stuff, some interesting meat in there that we can really chew on. Here's the first thing I want to note. Paul says that he is free, and yet he becomes a slave to all to win more of them, to win as many as possible. I think it's interesting, right? He says to win as many as possible. Paul could have remained as he was and won some people to the Lord, like some people could have been won to the Lord if Paul had just stayed who he was. But that's but winning some to the Lord is not his commission. His commission is to win as many as possible. Paul gives up himself. He gives up his own freedom and becomes a slave, a servant to all, that he might win as many as possible. Let's go on. That point will come up again. And Paul now says that he is becoming a slave to win as many as possible. He became four different types of people. We're going to look at these four different types. He became like a Jew, he became like one under the law, and he became like one outside the law in order to win them. And so there's this repetition of like, there's a repetition of like, he became like a Jew, like those under the law, like those outside the law. And then we get to verse 22 and we come to the weak and our brains are trained now to hear like. We expect Paul to say to the weak, I became like the weak, but Paul breaks the norm. He says to the weak, I became weak. Notice the difference. He didn't become as one who is as like the weak. He became weak. He didn't maintain a separate source of strength. He gave up his strength to save the weak. And this is important. And if we miss this, we will have missed a central theme to the book of 1 Corinthians. Weakness. Weakness characterizes the gospel and Paul himself. See, God's 1 Corinthians 1.25 says God's weakness is stronger than human strength. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Chapter 2, verse 3, on preaching the gospel of the Corinthians, Paul says, And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. See, weakness, weakness characterizes the Christian because Christ gave up his strength to save us on the cross. Paul says in verse 23 of our text that he gives up his strength and becomes weak for the sake of the gospel so that he may share in its blessings. Hear this well. Hear this well. If you want the blessings of the gospel, you have to share it with others. If you want the blessings of the gospel, you have to share it with others. Not only do you have to share it, you have to share it in a way that makes you weak where you give up who you are so that they can hear the gospel. 
I spent the last two weeks in Kenya. And Kenya, before it was open to missionaries, was a British colony. Some missionaries went and thought that since it was a British colony, and since, you know, Great Britain had brought English to it, they could teach in English and the people would understand. And they planted a few churches. Those missionaries planted a few churches. Some other missionaries went and learned Swahili and taught the people in Swahili. And they planted a few churches. Whose church do you think is doing better today? The missionaries who taught in Swahili or the missionaries who taught in English? It was the missionaries who took the time to learn Swahili. They gave up themselves and became a Swahili to reach the Swahili. And now there's like a million friends across Kenya and they're expanding quickly day by day. You know, I talk to a lot of older Christians whose churches do not have any young people. Our church was this way. See, there's been a problem in the church in America for two generations. We have failed to reach the young people. And now when I enter a new church, when I'm asked to speak at a different church, I fully expect to be the youngest one there. And I'm usually right. See, one guy in my seminary class said, if the 1950s ever come back, my church will be ready. Really what he's getting at is this idea of, are you willing to become as a young people, as a young person, to reach the young people? Are you willing to learn their values and embrace their values as your own? And if not, what share of the gospel do you think you have? If you hold the gospel only for yourself, you have not understood it. And as long as we fail to capture the missionary spirit of Paul and become slaves to the people around us, we will continue to fail to reach them. Not only that, Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. He says, I be, I, even though I'm free, even though I'm free, I give up my freedom to become a slave to all the people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, though not. And to those under the law, he became like one under the law, though he's only under the law of Christ. To those, to those outside of the law or without the law, he became as those without the law, like those without the law. And he does this all. He says, and to the weak, he became weak. And he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Here's where we're going to come back to that fourth idea. Because remember, all scripture has literal reading, spiritual reading, and application. And then some of them have an eschatological. That means end times idea. So that's what this verse is talking about. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. And Paul here is saying that if he doesn't live for the gospel, if he doesn't give up himself, if he doesn't become a slave to others, if he doesn't lose himself so that others might be saved, that he might win more of them, then he will not experience eschatological salvation. If we don't become slaves to the people around us, as Paul's word here, we risk losing our own salvation. So here's what we've seen in the text this morning. We don't muzzle an ox when it's treading out the grain. Pastors and leaders deserve to be paid for their work, and they should be bearing fruit. This is where Paul's coming back to. Paul's built this idea, hey, leaders are people who bear fruit. And now he's pointed them to this idea of, oh, and now leaders also have to give up themselves. That leaders are people who give up themselves as well. That we bear fruit, not not by staying the same, but by giving up who we are. So Paul lives as one who is obedient 
because Christ has come into his life. Obedience is not from a strict adherence to the word, but from an encounter with Jesus. And since we have encountered Jesus Christ, nothing else matters. Paul is willing to give up everything so that others may encounter Christ as well, including his strength, including his positions of, of strength. And have you, have you, so that there's some questions that we need to ask ourselves. Have you had an encounter with Christ? Has it had the same impact on you that it had on Paul? Are you willing to give up everything so that others might encounter Jesus? And the questions we all ask, we all must ask ourselves are, how are we bearing fruit? Are we bearing fruit or are we just planting seeds to a crop that we will never see? How has our encounter with Jesus changed our lives? And what are we unwilling to give up to reach others? What does this say about our own salvation? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, very thankful for all that you've done in our lives. Would you help us to be those who reflect your glory, who reflect who you are, who you gave yourself up for us. You lowered yourself, become a servant, becoming a slave. And so would we just follow your example and do that with you? We just ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.